please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, normally we have our sermon series through Job in the morning. Um, and with this, uh, this schedule this past week, I've decided to preach on 2 Thessalonians here in the morning, returning back to our series in Job, Lord willing, next week. But in our sermon series through 2 Thessalonians, we've come to verse 5 this morning. I want to begin at verse 1 to bring in the context but our text is verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the key um, part of the sermon this morning will be verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. What comes to mind when you hear of the righteous judgment of God? When I think of God's righteous judgment, the first thing that comes to my mind is God's judgment of sinners, uh, specifically his condemning them in his wrath to hell. I think of judgment as God sentencing the rebellious sinner to suffer the consequences of his sin. And that God's judgment is righteous means that he, when he judges a sinner, judges justly. He, he judges correctly. He judges according to his law and gives the sinner exactly what he deserves. And it's this usual understanding of God's righteous judgment that makes verse 5 of our text a bit puzzling at first glance. For what does verse 5 tell us is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Well, if we look at verse 4, verse 5 is, is connected to verse 4. And in verse 4, Paul is talking about the steadfastness and faith by which the Thessalonian believers endure persecutions and afflictions. And what Paul is saying now in verse 5 is that their enduring of persecutions and afflictions is evidence, is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. It's a curious statement, isn't it? How can it be that persecutions and afflictions of God's people would be evidence or proof of God's righteous judgment? 
fact, to our natural way of thinking, the persecutions and afflictions that fall upon us as God's people, we would think that, again, speaking just how we would naturally think, we would think that these are evidences that God is not righteous and just. Isn't it true that our struggles in life often become the occasion for us to question God's righteousness? And when Paul speaks in verse 4 of persecutions and afflictions, he's using two words that together really cover every kind of trouble that you and I can endure in this life. Persecutions are, of course, the troubles that you as a believer experience in connection with your faith. And afflictions include the painful effects of persecution that can persist even long after persecution has died down. The loss of a loved one, the loss of one's health or job or reputation can all happen as a result of persecution. And these are troubles that are not often immediately cured even after the persecution stops. Yet at the same time, afflictions don't even actually have to be connected to persecution at all. The word refers rather generally to any of the pressures that we as human beings are subject to in this present age. As God's children, as those loved by him, as those forgiven and saved, it seems unjust of God to allow us to suffer these persecutions and afflictions. It doesn't seem right to our natural way of thinking. And then there's actually the other side of the same coin. We struggle with how God, as a just and righteous God, can allow people to prosper who hate him and who hate the gospel, who hate Christ, who hate, who hate the church. And your struggle with this reality is not something new. The psalmist in in more than one place struggled with these issues. Psalm 73 is one of the best examples. The psalmist writes, beginning at verse 3, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is as their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. And then verse 12, again from Psalm 73. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. End quote. And the psalmist then expresses his frustration over the fact that his life has not gone so well, even though he has sought to live faithfully before God. And he entertains the thoughts of verse 13, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. So what is the psalmist's struggle there all about? Well, God's treatment of believers and unbelievers is often the opposite of what is expected. It doesn't seem just and right for God's people to suffer while wicked unbelievers prosper. It doesn't seem like it could possibly be a part of the plan of a just and righteous God to have his church suffer at the hands of wicked men. Certainly, that everyone here has also struggled with these questions in one form or another. And the text this morning is meant by the Holy Spirit to speak to these issues and to give us assurance that God is righteous in his judgments. God's word instructs us this morning in a way that is designed to encourage you and me in our faith whenever we face 
persecutions or afflictions or both. In a nutshell, what God's word tells us this morning is that suffering is to be understood in a way opposite to how we tend to think. Your persecution and affliction as a believer are not a sign of God's disfavor. When God preserves you by enabling you to endure through these persecutions and afflictions, this is actually evidence that you belong to God. When by God's grace, he, he uses suffering to bless you spiritually and, uh, and gives you steadfastness in, in your faith so that you endure the trials of life, this is proof of God's judgment that you have been counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Your suffering for the kingdom of God is proof positive that God has judged you to be one of his own, has judged you to be righteous in his sight. And what this passage brings to our attention is that there are really two sides to God's righteous judgment. God's righteous judgment is not only about punishing the wicked, which is certainly part of it, and in the verses that follow, um, verse 5, and I even read from those verses this morning, Paul speaks there of the everlasting destruction that will come on unbelievers. Um, we're going to consider in, in coming weeks this, this judgment of, of the unbelievers, which is part of the righteous judgment of God. But for now, notice that there is also a righteous judgment of God that concerns his church, that concerns you as a believer, that concerns you as his believing people. And uh, this makes sense when we realize that that God judges every human being concerning worthiness or unworthiness to be a part of his kingdom. The word judgment there in verse 5 has the basic meaning of of separating. Uh, What this word brings to mind is the biblical principle and truth that God has separated every person in this world into one of two categories, sheep or goats, believers or unbelievers. He knows his people. And he knows those who are living in rebellion against him. God is constantly making judgments that have to do ultimately with whether a person will be blessed or cursed, both in this life and in the life to come. At the very moment, there is a judgment that is taking place regarding you. You are judged either to be one of his sheep or one of his goats. And these judgments are righteous. These judgments are according to God's standard of righteousness revealed in his law. And from one point of view, this standard is very simple. It's very easy to explain what God's standard requires of us. And on the other hand, this standard is high and ultimately it is impossible for us to keep. God's standard of righteousness is is on the one hand, not some elaborate, never-ending list of do's and don'ts. Jesus explains that the law can be summarized in in rather simple terms, in the terms of loving God and the neighbor. Matthew 22, verses 26 and following says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. So this is it. This is God's righteous requirement by which he judges all. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 10 verse 5 about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. God pledges life to those who keep his law. And yet, on the other hand, God's holy law condemns those 
who fail to meet the requirements of God's law, and they must be met perfectly. So God's righteous requirements, they're fairly easy to explain, but they're not easy to keep. To love God with all of your being and your neighbor as yourself is a requirement that governs every word, thought, and deed that you do. It concerns not only what you do outwardly, but also your hearts. There is no one except the Lord Jesus Christ who has been able to meet that standard of righteousness. Scripture is rather blunt about the matter. There is none righteous, no, not one. James 2.10, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. There's no room in God's law for mistakes. It doesn't give us any second chances. The law gives no mercy to failure. And our failure to keep God's law means we deserve God's judgment. We deserve condemnation. When judged according to the righteous standard of God's law, we deserve to go to hell. As mentioned before, this judgment is what normally comes to mind when we think of the righteous judgment of God. And yet there is another righteous judgment of God by which he judges some sinners to be free of sin and thus worthy of eternal life. This is a judgment that can never be made on the basis of who we are or what we do. This is a judgment that God makes through the person and work of Jesus Christ, his son. This is a judgment based on God's grace, sending Jesus to be our representative and to meet the requirements of the law for us. Jesus met the twofold requirement of the law of God in order that God might righteously judge us to be worthy of his kingdom. So two parts. First, he took the punishment we deserve upon himself as he died upon the cross. And second, he perfectly kept the commandments of the law. And we refer to these two aspects of Jesus' work as his passive and active obedience. We begin with uh, his passive obedience, which is the name given to his saving work of suffering the punishment that the law says we deserve. God's law says that, that God's wrath is to be unleashed against sin, and this wrath and condemnation Jesus experienced for us. Our sins were put to his account, and he allowed himself to experience all of the wrath that our sins deserve. Jesus was paying this debt through all of the suffering that he experienced in his life, but especially through the suffering and death on the cross. It was especially there on the cross that he experienced the reality of being shut off from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. There on the cross, he satisfied the justice of God against our sins because he died there as our representative, as our sin substitute. This is Jesus' passive obedience. And Jesus' active obedience refers to how his entire life, he perfectly kept God's commandments. He always did what God required. He never did what God forbids. In his life of obedience, he never failed once. Jesus was actively obedient as our representative. And the result of Christ's passive and active obedience is that those whom Christ represents, which are people who receive him by faith. The result of his obedience is that those he represents are judged or counted worthy of the kingdom of God. People of faith, their sins are forgiven. They are declared to be righteous in the sight of God. We're talking about justification. Sinners being judged to be worthy of eternal life. And these judgments are righteous because 
These judgments are made on the basis of what Christ has done. The judgments are made on the basis of the law's requirements being met. The law says sin must be punished, and Jesus suffered that punishment. The law says there is reward only for those who are perfect, and Jesus was perfect, doing everything the law requires. It would not be a righteous judgment to reward a sinner with eternal life who has not met the requirements of the law. But it is perfectly just on God's part to reward those for whom Christ has died and for whom he has merited eternal life by his perfect life. So who are these who know God's righteous judgment, who are counted worthy of the kingdom of God? Well, they are the opposite of those mentioned in verse 8. In that verse, we find reference to the righteous judgment of God in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So the opposite is true, right? That those who escape this vengeance are those who do know God and who do obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The same people are referred to in verse 10 as those who have believed. Those who have believed the testimony of Paul and his companions It is the believer in Jesus Christ who is counted worthy of God's kingdom. This is the person who knows God, the the person who obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does all of this mean? Well, it's not enough to just know about God, to, to know who he is. It's not enough to just believe that Jesus existed and or even to believe just in the fact that he died for sinners. But our passage is referring to a knowledge of God where you know him as he is revealed in the scriptures. This word know in this expression to know God is a word that that means to have regard for one. It means to cherish. It means to pay attention to. It means knowing God in a relationship where you love him, where you have fellowship with him, a relationship where you submit to him as Lord of your life. And this relationship is possible only in the way of knowing God through Jesus Christ. Some people think you can have a relationship with God and know God in that then, but not know Jesus Christ. But Jesus is God. You can't know the true God, the God of the Bible, without also knowing Jesus as your God and Savior. In fact, the only way to be a part of God's kingdom and to know God in a relationship of fellowship is by, as the apostle says, obeying the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only way that our sins can be forgiven, the only way that God can righteously judge us to be worthy of eternal life. For the gospel or the good news or the glad tidings of which scripture is referring is that Jesus has died in the place of sinners. Jesus has met the requirement of sinners who otherwise must suffer the consequences of their wrongdoing. And this gospel must be obeyed in the sense that Jesus Christ calls you to receive him as your savior. This is not optional. You are to trust him. You are to trust his work on your behalf, which requires you to repent of your sins. You are to go to him and to ask him to be your representative You are to ask him to apply his righteousness, his death, his obedience, his saving work to your account. You must receive and rest upon Christ alone for the righteousness of salvation. And many people do not obey this gospel. They do not obey the command to receive Christ because they don't want to admit their their need for Christ's work. 
They don't want to admit that they need righteousness that they do, that they do not have on their own. It takes humility to admit sin. It takes humility to admit that you are so helpless that only Christ, only Christ's righteousness can make you worthy of God's kingdom. Sinful man wants to hold on to the idea that he can be judged worthy of the kingdom of God on the basis of his own merits. But it's only those who put their trust in Christ alone for salvation who are declared righteous in God's sight. And the main point of our passage this morning is to point out that one of the evidences of this right standing with God, the the evidence of being justified um, through Jesus Christ is how God uses suffering in your life. If you have been counted worthy of the kingdom of God, you will suffer on behalf of Christ and his kingdom. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Suffering for Christ is like a badge that says, God has judged you. He's righteously judged you to be one of his own. Listen to 1 Peter Chapter 4, verses 12 and following. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verses 18 and following, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word... They will also keep yours. And the point is that suffering for Christ is evidence that you belong to him. Rejoice when you are reproached for the name of Christ, for hatred from the world is evidence that you do not belong to the world, but belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Persecution is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. The righteous judgment of God is also made evident when God sends persecutions and afflictions designed to increase your faith and love. Persecutions are sent your way because you belong to Christ. Afflictions are those things that may or may not have to do with the fact that you are a Christian. They may be simply suffering that is a part of this life here on earth. But either way, both persecutions and afflictions are one of the ways that God strengthens you spiritually. A number of Bible passages speak to this work of God in our lives. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. James 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet uh, trials of various kinds, 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So in God's good providence, afflictions are a blessing to you and me, to, to you and me spiritually. Um, they, these, these trials that we experience, they wean us from trusting in the things of this world, loving the things of this world, while at the same time pushing us toward the, the caring arms of our Savior Jesus Christ. So that troubles cause us in the end to cling more closely, more intensely to Christ. They cause us even as a body to depend more and more on each other for help and support and in that way increase our unity and love. So the positive effects that trials have on us as believers proves that God does love us, that he has taken us as his children. They are evidence of the righteous judgment of God. And last but not least, persecutions and afflictions serve as evidence of the righteous judgment of God when God enables you to endure persecutions and afflictions. It's not simply that, like, that suffering bad things in life is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Everybody at one time or another faces afflictions. Experiencing hardships does not by itself indicate that you are counted worthy of the kingdom of God. But what is evidence of the righteous judgment of God is suffering bad things, hard things, and finding that God gives you the grace to stand strong in him. The evidence Paul is especially thinking about is the steadfastness and faith in all your tribulations that you are enduring, he says to the Thessalonians there in verse 4. God sends trials to you as one of his own, in order to prove your faith. God sends you circumstances and problems that he knows very well you cannot handle on your own. That's the point. You experience hardships that, if left to yourselves, you would not be able to endure, but God doesn't leave you to yourselves. His goal is not to destroy your faith. His goal is to bring you to the end of yourselves in order to then sustain you in faith to the glory of his grace. His goal is to show that, indeed, it is right for you to trust him. So Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the, res- at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So your ability to endure these afflictions and persecutions, to remain steadfast, is evidence that God is at work giving you faith. People of God, it is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes all of this possible and makes all of this a reality. It is because of God's righteous judgment in Jesus Christ that you have been counted worthy of the kingdom of God. God judges us to be righteous in his sight entirely on the basis of what Christ has done as his work is received by faith. And the glorious truth being brought to your attention this morning um, is that this righteous judgment of God assures you that indeed all things are working together for your good. Persecutions and afflictions, you must understand, they're not inherently good things. They're not inherently helpful. They're not inherently blessings. 
In fact, the troubles of life would be nothing to rejoice about if you did not know Christ as your Savior. Without Christ, the trials of life would be evidence of God's wrath against sin and against you as a sinner. Without Christ, the hardships of this life would be tokens of greater punishment to come after death. But with Christ, we are righteously judged by God to be without sin, no longer worthy of wrath, no longer worthy of condemnation and and punishment for sin. In Christ, we are counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And because all of the law's requirements have been met for us in Christ, every event of your life, including persecutions, these afflictions, they're actually sent in love. They are sent to bless you, to strengthen you, to build you up in your faith, to build you up in love, to build you up in all aspects of Christian character. As those who trust Christ, do not think of suffering as somehow evidence that God has forsaken you or evidence that God is condemning you but actually evidence that God is with you. Your ability to endure suffering, the spiritual growth that you experience through suffering, your suffering for the sake of Christ, these are all proofs that God has judged you to be righteous in his sight through the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in him. The suffering is actually evidence that God's grace is at work in your lives. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this evidence of your righteous judgment. We thank you that there is a righteous judgment of justification as well as a righteous judgment uh, unto condemnation. Father, we deserve to be condemned for our sins, but we thank you for the justification that occurs by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ where we are declared by you to be without sin, to be free of any condemnation that the law would have against us. Father, and we thank you for the evidence of that justification that comes to us in the way of our enduring through persecutions and afflictions. Father, this is not something that we naturally like to hear, but we are thankful, Father, that the afflictions, the persecutions that come upon us as your people are not meaningless and they are are not evidences of condemnation of 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 punishment but father we thank you that they are evidences that we belong to you and so father we pray that as we we face persecutions and afflictions that we would not lose heart but that we would actually be encouraged in 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 seeing how you use these things for our spiritual good May we see that as evidence that indeed we are yours, that we belong to you, that we are a part of your kingdom, that we are justified in your sight. And We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.